One day, John Hammond's going to show up at your doorstep and say, I'm going to need a 1993 Jurassic Park expert to come to my park uh, to see dinosaurs to let people know it's real. And you're going to be like, you fucking liar, and slam the door on his face, even though he's in your fridge already. (laughs) Unless somebody resurrects Sir Richard Attenborough, I don't care, because he's the only one who could pull out John Hammond. Ooh, are we to the part where we get ethics? Well, that's something I missed in the last episode I'm really sad about. That's... It's one of my favorite scenes of all time. Oh, hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> I, I seriously, I have all the figures in the Amber Collection, which are the, t- the 12, or not the 12-inch, the 6-inch uh, Jurassic Park figures. I seriously wanted to buy at least a dozen Hammonds to do that. <laughs> but luckily, Nicole told me no, and she, she had good reasoning. <laughs> but yeah, it's just really and hard to do that. And now you have a cell phone and a computer, and you can just edit together a movie yourself and do that. Oh. You only need one, John. <laughs> We're going to introduce ourselves soon. Yes. After a word from our messages. What? A word from our Do you ever get tired of wearing pants? Oh, God, I All do. All the time. <laughs> I'm not wearing pants right now. And this is the product for you. It's no pants. For five easy installments of $35.99.99.99, you can also have don't, no don't pants. You, don't you just mean shorts? They're not shorts. They're no pants. Anyway... Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. We're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we're on to part three of Jurassic Park. We've just kicked our lap bars off our laps and almost kicked the stones out of the way, too, because they were kind of foamy and they didn't stick to the set very well. And we're going from the Dino DNA scene into... The laboratory. Oh, yeah. Baby dinos. My God, the practical effects in this scene. I love puppets. It's so good. It is pretty they, amazing. They put gunk, bloody gunk in the egg to be like on the little the little baby dino. And it, and it, it had just the hatching. And I, uh, I can't bring actual words to this. Yeah. And you get Hammond there just wanting to be there for every dino hatching so that way he could uh, imprint on every dinosaur or every dinosaur imprint on yep. him. Not entirely certain which is more infa- effective. <laughs> it explains why he got to survive this movie. Well, what, what type of dinosaur is it? Is it a water type dinosaur or is it a fire type Ooh. dinosaur? Uh, this would be the blood type. <laughs> Oh, it's a whole new type. Yeah, I think it's strong versus dragon and dark. Actually, it's probably weak <laughs> against dark since blood. Anyways, yeah. Uh, this is that scene that I have a note about Malcolm having no tact. I forget what no. he... Oh, what? God, what did he say? He was saying something. He was. It, it, he said something just absolutely terse before going into his... His rant that leads to the iconic life uh, finds a way line. And I. That entire speech is amazing. Forget. I wish I would have. Was it the bit about going out to the park and lifting the dinosaur skirts? It was either that or just before. Hmm. And I don't remember what he said that triggered me to write that down. He definitely just comes out and says what he's thinking. And kind of required for this sort of thing. I, I respect Hammond for letting people around him say what they're thinking and uh, 
at least acting like he's thinking, uh, listening to them. Uh, at a certain point, obviously, he's had it up to here with people like Nedry, mm-hmm. but it's good that he's willing to listen and take criticisms full, full on the chin, if you will. Yeah. Here I found the I found the transcript. It is his first line in that scene is, "Well, surely not the ones that have been bred in the wild." And then after the spiel with Henry, he says, "Uh, how, how do you know that they can't breed?" And then he brings up the piece later on after the whole conversation. But uh, again, how do you know they're all female? Did somebody go to the park and uh, lift up all the dinosaur skirts? It must have been that line. After that, then it's that that whole that whole spiel with life finds a way. Then yeah, then it must have been that line. Dan, are you thinking about the so your scientists were so worried about if they could, they didn't think about if no, they that's should? that's that's later because that's after that's the... a, that should be on the iconic line list. This is this is right before, this is right before he says. I, no, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Right before that, he says the whole thing about John. The kind of th- control you're attempting here is it's not possible. If there's one thing that history of evolution has taught us, it's that the it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, expands to new places, crashes through barriers, painfully, perhaps even dangerously. But uh, well, there it is. So that's that's <laughs> what he said right before he said the piece of life it must finds have a way. it must have been the skirt the skirt line then. And honestly, but uh, there it is. I think I live that on a daily basis. I mean, the the rest of the characters respond to that really, like, really well. What do you mean, uh? 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 Yeah, I just, I find myself uh, being uh, not able to finish my thoughts or thinking I have more to say and be like, well, yep, uh, nope, that's all I have to say about Mm -hmm. that. I I love that the actual quote is is not life finds a way, it's life uh finds a way. (laughs) That just makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like like people misquoting Vader and saying the the iconic... Luke, I'm your father. Exactly, he never said that. It's it's one of those fun quotes where you can be at parties, like you can be the turd in the punch bowl and say, no, actually, it's this. There's a whole game show based on um, actually... Or but actually. Oh, another game show I'm not going to watch. It's people bringing up, like, trivia facts, and if you can properly tell the trivia fact... The, the trivia fact that you're given is wrong, but if you be, but if you can bring the true fact of the trivia fact out, you get a point. See, Dan, I thought you Gross. said that there's a whole show surrounding butt acne. And no, I not butt acne. Scared. That would be awful. <laughs> but actually... I forget what it's... I forget what the name of it's called. It's a, it's a college humor... But yeah, to your point, Dan, I've I've always wanted the uh, Velociraptor and the Ig. I'd, I'd love to have that in my life. With or without teeth, because this thing had tiny little teeth and they were adorable. With teeth, it's just so cute. It has to have the teeth. So the uh, the robot arm, it um it disappears during the hatching. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of movie... I mean, yes, there's errors in this movie editing-wise, up the wazoo. It's perfect, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, about. later on we'll get the T-Rex <laughs> attack and things like that, but... Also, I don't know how the editing for this film went, other than the fact that I know that after shooting for Jurassic Park wrapped, Spielberg had to fly and immediately start working on uh, Schindler's List. Because if he didn't start working on it, that was his pet project. That was like his one, I do one for you, you, you let me do one for myself. If he didn't start working on that, he would never be able to make that movie. So he had to immediately embark on making Schindler's List after Jurassic Park. Which kind of ruined the editing process for him because he get phone calls and stuff like that. He get dailies, you know, sent over and asked for his opinion on them, and he's trying to focus on this while having just filmed, you know, kids being shot to death and crap like that the, the, during the day. So he even he's even commented on that how trying to mentally shift from filming children hiding in an outhouse to 
going back and, you know, verifying the, the dailies on a T-Rex running after a Jeep and things like that. It's just, it's, there's a lot to unpack there between the two movies and between that fine line that he had to walk between editing them. So I, I forgive a lot of the editing mistakes in this movie. Plus they're fun. They're like little Easter eggs to point out. Like the That arm. was the only one that I, <laughs> no, I, I noticed. That's the only oh, one others. I've ever noticed. When the when the explorer we'll get into it later, but when the explorer tips over in the uh, T Rex attack, there's clearly plywood and a plugged in work lamp on on. Oh, that's on not lids. true. I know there's another there's another one in the kitchen scene that I have marked down. Yeah, there's there's plenty. There's plenty of little things that you know you'll see, <laughs> but it's, so it's fun to that, unpack them. Is that arm autonomous or is it controlled by somebody in the background? With the attitude it gave Grant, I'm gonna say autonomous. Right, like. Grant picks up that egg and it's no, like, you put this, nah, you put this that is my down, egg. Huh? This stays here. <laughs> Nedry was talking about automation. I mean, I'm assuming that that's his personality coming through in that robot. <laughs> I think the way this scene ends is just awesome with Grant holding the the little the little velociraptor. He's just like, oh, 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 yes. fuck! I'm holding a tiny killing machine. Shit. The what the have I done? In, the zoom in, the music, just the look on his face, the expression, just all of it, just. <laughs> oh yes it ends so freaking well <laughs> and then that hard cut right over to the raptor paddock yes yep. <laughs> still staying with the pet raptors and now we got Maldoon, someone who does not like raptors does not like dinosaurs not like specifically the raptors <laughs> like the dinosaurs not a big fan of but the raptors he's like nah these jerks always messing up my fences <laughs> gotta feed them from above otherwise they're gonna attack the place we put the food in there's such a pain. Well, I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, he's no, not he's wrong. Not. He's, he's very sensible. <laughs> I say he's probably the most sensible person at the park at this point. Mm-hmm. Yep. At this point. Later, not very sensible. Yeah, from everything he knows about raptors, it, later on his uh, choices are interesting. Yeah. I think Muldoon should have been giving just the, the distances that the velociraptors can move and all that and metric and not imperial. He's yeah. Aussie. Oh, they use feet. Yeah, they use feet. I heard people play D and D. All right, no D and D's in feet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> take that. Muldoon plays D and D. It's canon. It's weird when he said that the Raptors can move at 120 feet uh, per round. It was interesting. I wasn't sure what he's talking about. <laughs> My biggest problem with this introduction to the Velociraptor pit and feeding them is. All my life, this one scene, I'm just like, they obviously haven't figured their stuff out yet because they're lifting this cow in to feed them. And when they pull the crane bit back out, it's just wrecked. So they have to have a new... Um, yeah, they got to repair that every time. Thing. Every time. They every come. time. That's the beauty of the scene. That's it really, really hammers home the fact of how just unprepared they spend are. Spend money, spend money, spend money. Well, spend money, but then also just how unprepared they are for the unexpected nature of the animals. Malcolm's absolutely right. They bred these things without actually thinking about it. They just expected them to perform, and they had no idea what they have. He so here it is. so they many threw valid points, and no one listens to him. He does. You have this temporary enclosure because... That's how hastily they had to throw this piece of crap together to throw them in there. And here they are showing the freaking tourists coming in to sign off on the park. Like, oh yeah, this isn't a safety concern. They just they were just uh, a lot more aggressive than we thought they'd be. So they're in this little prison cell. <laughs> and we're breeding more. And we're breeding more, yeah. exactly. What? Oh, <laughs> well, we have other cars. I'd like to point out, the they're still not showing the raptors at this point. Yep, yep. 
Just the shaking trees. And the sound. Which Laura Dern and Sam Neill and everybody said was pretty hard to film because you have Steven Spielberg, you know, shaking branches and shit. And they're just like, okay. He's saying, just imagine <laughs> imagine this happening. And then, and then they asked, well, can we, get a, can we get some sound at least? And then he just, I think through this, I think they said through a bullhorn, he just shouted roar. And start making like a couple of like, <laughs> oh god, I would not be able to keep a straight face. I would couldn't absolutely could not. Oh my, that's that is amazing. I like it. I thought that scene was uh, silly enough watching it, uh, just watching it from above with the tree with some you know, just imagining people down there shaking the trees. But knowing that he said roar going through a bullhorn, that's ah <laughs> uh, chef's kiss. Roar. And something about Chilean sea bass in this uh, next here. scene. Yeah. Well, he's, he mentions it in this scene. Oh, because you have to set up the next scene. You got to set up the Chilean sea bass. You can't just have it come in. You also get a feeling from this scene that Hammond's like, I have this plan to a T. I need this to go exactly what it is. And you guys are really screwing with me right now. <laughs> Get in line Stop already. Stop looking at the stuff that's going to fail me yep. on this. He's like, He's really yes. trying to avert the eyes. It's like somebody basically showing off like a new building or like a, a new cruise liner or something. And, you know, hey, people are looking you know, at the parts like that aren't finished yet. No just, doors just, just on this that. on this boat. Not a, not yeah. a single door. Is that, <laughs> exactly. is that an oversight? Like. I can't, like, just sit in my bathroom right now. You can just keep saying sparing no expense to kind of cover over that, but, you know, there's there's rough edges, and they're seeing the rough <laughs> Did edges. Did you know that Chilean sea bass mm-hmm. goes for about $30 a pound today? I was going to say, it's expensive, because wow. I'm getting the memorabilia. What about tilapia? One of my favorite things that I've always said if they ever made it would be, like, the ultimate Jurassic Park collectible for me would be the dishes from the scene, and of course they make them now. Um, here, Brothy, give me just a second... Because you can get Chilean sea bass, it's $30 a bit, and this recipe that I found needs 15 ounces for one serving. (laughs) So, I I need that to break in the plates, though. You can't break these plates in without Chilean sea bass. So, question for you guys. Embarrassingly, how long did it take you through your childhood or through your life to realize it was Chilean sea bass and not chili and sea bass? Um... I don't oh. think I I went that way. I I heard this this is sea bass from from Chile. I, he definitely says Chilean weird. Yeah. I don't think I ever noticed that. <laughs> I've heard it online. People miss mishearing it multiple times growing up. It's like, oh, what's Chilean sea bass? Like picturing a bowl of chili with some fish. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's actually called the gumbo because there's fish in it instead of meat. Uh, beef. Mm. Well, in the scene with the Chilean sea bass, I I kind of like how it's just this big dark room with all these projectors projecting future attraction, mm-hmm. future I love attraction. It. You get a little glimpse of the it's so the flights. Good. You get a little glimpse of the river ride. All that good stuff. Uh, it looks like the aviaries yep, yep. in one of them. <laughs> oh, I love that part. <gasps> Jurassic Park three has to happen then. No, because they just took the <laughs> stuff that didn't happen and kept putting it in the other ones. It's not fair. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's fine. This movie doesn't need an aviator. I'm, it was I'm already without... pretty well I stocked. Mean, I, I have to admit, kudos to Universal for cutting the river adventure from this movie and then just saying, "Ah, fuck it, let's turn it into a theme park ride." <laughs> I mean, they do bring the river adventure into the movie that we don't talk about. Yeah, yeah, but in this one, it was supposed to play a very integral part because in the book, it was a lot of yeah, there was them a lot on of the river water movement. Exactly, it was not the a AB safari. Yeah. It was a, I mean, there was a separate tour. It was a separate tour. They had different tours yeah. for it, but that didn't come up at all in this because they just thought logistically, there's no way that they could film that. No amount of money they could throw at the screen would make that work. <laughs> 
The scene also has the penultimate Jurassic Park line of your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they never stopped to think if they, that they should. I love Malcolm's entire rant with him talking about scientists finding the power and wheeling it like a kid finding its dad's gun. There's so much foreshadowing. Banging his fists on the table talking about selling it. It's, it's so damn good. It's such a good quote. I mean, there's a reason why people use that quote all over the place. Because it's, it's true. It's topical. It can be used. Apply it to a lot of things. So yeah, you were so quick to make the pickle flavored blizzard that you never thought if you should make the pickle flavored blizzard. And here we have an example of like actual real ethics discussion. Something super interesting that should be talked about uh, before you even start any of this. And they're talking about and it. They, and they, like they're fight like a that a fighting at a family dinner. Right, but there it's. So it's so good. It's so well done. I I wrote in this movie at right before this part that it's just this movie is so well paced. It is. And even in places like this where other movies might make the conversation slow and boring or try to really flesh things out, they really just hit the nail on the head quickly and keep things interesting and flowing. Mm -hmm. And they don't Batman the date scenes. (laughs) It makes me curious how things would have panned out had things gone differently. Without going too far in the weeds, Stephen was really good friends with uh, Michael Crichton. And that's why he got essentially the rights to do this, because he had asked him while working on several things, what do you got planned next? And he said that he never divulges anything about his books until they're published. But Stephen, you know, begged him because they're good friends. And he just kind of brought up the fact that, okay, it's got... It deals with cloning and dinosaurs, and and Stephen lost his fucking mind. He's like, I want it, I want it. Sci-fi. It's like based off of Sci-fi just that. Horror. Sci-fi horror. Yeah. I gotta do this. Oh my god. Exactly. But he's a huge fan of dinosaurs since he was a kid too. So it's like everything coming together in a giant wet dream for him. He had to have it. So before the movie even was optioned, before it even went up for any kind of bidding wars, essentially it was Steven Spielberg's movie. And Michael Crichton said that. He even said, "I'm going to put on my business hat, and we do have to do bidding for this." But I'm going to tell you, if even if it comes in between, you know, being a little bit off or you're a little bit lower than blah, 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 you're still going to get it. So what happened was, I shit you not, imagine this in your head as I say these. Do you know the directors that almost got a chance to make this movie? I want to know. Tim Burton. Oh, no. I was going to say Tim Burton. Tim Burton. No. <laughs> Rob Reiner. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Coming off Stand By Me, how do you guys feel about a Jurassic Park version of that? Fuck off. Whoa. Okay. I just Princess Bride oh, version Jurassic of Jurassic Park, Park. The introspective. Oh. The big one. The big one, though. James Cameron missed his shot. He heard about it, lost his damn mind. He's like, holy shit, I need this. But he didn't respond until the day after he got the, uh, the whatever it was that they got, letting them know that the movie's coming. Uh, just whatever the bare minimum notes were. He didn't respond until the day after, and by that time, he was already told that Stephen had got it, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm not that would have been, been yeah, good but it would have been more action it would have been like aliens with dinosaurs it just would have been just shit on screen yeah, constantly yeah. and just gun gunfire everywhere <laughs> <laughs> it would have been great i'm not gonna lie but it would not have the been vol- this it would not have been a lasting movie speaking of like the velociraptors made me think a lot about the xenomorphs and i was like exactly oh, if they exactly. could have just moved more like the xenomorphs that would have been they so the end of the movie that one little bit before the thing happens that we're going to talk about later mm-hmm. we'll get Maybe. there yeah. we'll get there putting pins everywhere but yeah way way off track with that one but it's just 
it's interesting because all those little pieces Stephen does characters so well and that's why i love his damn movies because it doesn't matter how strong the overall movie is there's there's some decent ones that he's done there's some incredible ones he's done but for me personally why i love steven spielberg's movies is just the character development is just second to none he has a way with child actors. Not to Child tangent. actors with Steven Spielberg are incredible. Look at Super 8. Yeah, exactly. It's just Super 8, it came close, but that's just somebody trying to emulate his style. That's true. Well, but didn't he have... Oh, no. He was in the movie, but it wasn't him. Yeah, it was... Uh, that was the start of Mr. J.J. Uh, Abrams. And that's why people kind of call him a hack and a schlock because he's trying to be Steven Spielberg, essentially. I mean, yes, he makes good movies, but he's definitely got that edge to him where it feels like he's just trying to replicate what Steven's done. Lens flares. Lens flares. Lens flares everywhere. But yeah, it's just with the characters he has in this, the development he's got in this, that scene in particular you guys are talking about, there's just so much to it that I can't imagine how it would have been handled through another director's hands. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think of any of those anybody would be able to handle the inter-character. There's a word I want to use. Yeah, you you got there. I don't know if anyone else would even attempt just having a sit-down, let's-talk-over-a-dinner argument, uh, ethical ethical argument, to the point where no one's even eating their... They're not even touching their chillin' sea bass mm-hmm. they're 30 dollar per ounce per pound. Sea bass. per pound not per ounce <laughs> per pound <laughs> it was 30 dollars per ounce holy christ that's a yeah, lobster be awful hey spared no expense the reason why this scene works so well is purely melt yeah yep. because he keeps the energy going and everyone vibes off of him which then brings hammond to be like i can't believe this the only person on my side is the blood sucking yep. he goes on his little rant about yeah. condors and everything else like it, it's such a well-established scene just kind of depicting like where his thought is right now where his head is at that he's got these people that he thought were shoe-ins for convincing and they are only thinking about the negatives and as a businessman hammond cannot dwell on that at this point in the game he has to shove all the good things forward at this point in the game yeah well, it's interesting that Hammond thinks that he can put somebody out of a job and make them excited about it. <laughs> well, I think that's also that's also <laughs> part of it too. Like the bumbling nature, just he's he's so aloof of the things happening around him. And the thing that I really appreciate out of all this is it's an, again this point keeps getting hammered through the movie in different scenes. It's the fact that yet again they have something that they don't know how to deal with. He thought he had something predictable. He thought he had a bunch of people bringing in. These guys like dinosaurs. They dig them up. Obviously, they're going to sign off on my dinosaur park. And then he doesn't like the mathematician because he sees things realistically where everyone else doesn't. And it's just, he was expecting something completely different than what he got. And that's just the theme continuously. He was expecting a not, a, uh, just a, a home run knocked right out of the park. Yeah. And... He's, he's being forced to bunt. Yup. And, and that's the theme. That's the theme over and over again. It's just he's not getting what he thought he was going to get because before he even knows how to handle the shit he has in front of him, he's just trying to move on to getting it next to, to the next part. So it's I love that they keep doing that. I love that that theme keeps coming up in this over and over again. Yeah, it's a good call out that this is a very good sit down and talk yeah, scene. Yeah, these are very rare. I don't think I can call out... If somebody were to ask me, hey, what's the first thing that comes to mind when we when we need a scene in a movie where the characters have a meaningful a meaningful debate without any action? I'd say snatch. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. I would say not even that though cuz 
most of the time when I think about this kind of a thing in another film, it would be character introduction. Because usually it's so sloppy and so rushed, like, this is where you yeah. show off the characters. Like, oh, that's blah, 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 and this is how they introduce everybody. We're well past all of that in this scene. This scene stands on its own because it's got those those core themes and that, that core feature to it that doesn't have to be driven by the laziness of the rest of the film that's come up to that point. I love that. Plus, they've already showed you dinosaurs at this point, and now they took you away from yes. the dinosaurs. Yeah. The big point of <laughs> yes. the movie. Why did you take us away from dinosaurs? Oh, right. Maybe we shouldn't have put those dinosaurs first there place. in the first place. We just want to know? talk about the marketing of the dinosaurs. <laughs> Screw talking about the dinosaurs' well-being or the ethical implications. Let's just talk about the marketing. Right. <laughs> Speaking of marketing, this scene leads into introducing... The main demographic of Jurassic Park. Do you think that's why the grandkids were invited? No. It's a very small throwaway line. The grandkids were invited because of the fact that his daughter just had a divorce. Or they're going through the divorce. So it was, going through the divorce, it was just yeah. to get the kids out of the out of the house and away from the parents. Which is great. Oh. They really stole that for Jurassic World as well, but <laughs> it works really well here at least. Yeah. I say they didn't really call that out too much here. Yeah, it's just a very it. small line. It's a tiny line in the amber mine scene. Very beginning of the amber mine scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a total throwaway line that you wouldn't have caught. And I felt it so much on this viewing because when I was younger and watching this movie, I hated these kids. <laughs> they were annoying as shit these, to me. These kids are the best kids in the entire goddamn series, and you that is the hill I am going to die <laughs> they, on. They are, goddammit. They don't they don't have to shoehorn gymnastics in to kick a raptor out a window or have wooden <laughs> character development about just trolling for babes. Because the, because one of the kids is definitely supposed to be autistic, but the company didn't have the balls to pull the trigger on it. So it's just awkward as hell for everyone. Yep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What I loved about these kids this time around viewing it was, A, internalizing that line that, yeah, his daughter was going through a messy mm-hmm. divorce. And these kids, I started this time going, holy crap, that's why they're clinging to... Um, Dr. Grant. This male figure that they Absolutely. look up to is now it's kind of like a father figure that they feel mm-hmm. they're missing. And so it's real easy for them to, one, they look up to him, and two, it's it's someone to cling yeah. to. And it became so much more sense to me as a f- stupid-ass <laughs> adult but Grant, to see that. Grant wants finally. nothing to do with these clingy little snot-nosed brats especially the kid that idolizes the hell out of him in his book i felt i <laughs> i couldn't say like felt so much of grant right there i'm just like oh man the, the eye rolls i'm looking at that little boy's face and it's like get the hell out of just here, get kid. the fucking mm-hmm. hell out of my face man that's still one of my favorite lines in this whole movie though she said that I should ride with you because it'd be good for you. I love God that line. Damn it, Ellie. God damn it, Ellie. <laughs> and yeah, the cut the cut and back Ellie to Ellie. Ellie is cracking up in exactly. the van. She said they're just like just chewing on her fucking finger, giggling away. Like it's so freaking good. So good. That's a wholesome prank. Yep. I can get behind that kind of prank. And also our first glimpse at the wildly seductively attractive Ford Explorers rolling out in front of the visitor center. <laughs> <laughs> Still to this day. When I talk to friends, when I get stuff like memorabilia wise, or I, I, you know, get like new shirt or shoes, whatever, that print is always the thing that makes everyone jealous. 
It's not like an InGen is... coffee mug. It's not like this <laughs> or that. It's not like a Mr. DNA thing. It's you throw that fucking tiger print and gradient green and yellow on anything, and people it's lose their Park. damn mind. It is Jurassic Park. It that is. is what it is. It is. It's pure 90s nostalgia because that is such an iconic look to this movie. Thank you, John Bell. Thank you so much. It's also just so very loud <laughs> to look really at, is. so it's easy yes. to it recognize. Is. It feels like a safari ride. It feels like something that exists in the world for pure joy and entertainment. That is the crazy wild thing you're going to ride on to go see dinosaurs. Get fucking pumped. And they're like, you can't be hurt because these things are so theme parky. It's It's not there to hurt you you're gonna have Which a good I love, time love 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 malcolm's quip about that god help us we're in the hands of engineers <laughs> <laughs> i love that line as well the only other thing i have about this is the the interactive cd-rom line i'm just like is this an, an interactive cd-rom it's more of an interactive right. touch display well no the cd the cd-rom's right underneath it it's a touch display but then the cd-rom drive is underneath. Is it i didn't see it is that was there an actual like cd-rom drive yes oh, i didn't see it so in, in the ford explorer there's a cd-rom drive right above that is the screen that she was touching and then up above kind of where the rearview mirror would be uh by the visor for the driver and passenger that's really kind of where uh there's a camera and a microphone system for you know the control room to be able to talk to the guests and the guests to talk back where we get that amazing line <laughs> oh this was my freaking uh my my text message ringtone for probably about three years just john hammond i really hate that man <laughs> It's my favorite. Time. <laughs> I love the snarkiness. It's so good. Yeah. It, it definitely uh, shows you just how much Hammond is losing it at this point. Yep. Like he's just everything's grinding on his gears at that point. It's just nothing's yeah. going right. But that's that's further on. I mean, prior to that, we've got the main gate, which is so iconic. It's such a gigantic set piece. See the gate, you immediately start hearing the theme song playing. You don't doesn't you? You don't have yep. to have to see the text on the gate. Just the silhouette of the gate with fire all i can hear is the horns playing yep and that's another wonderful one that's another one where spielberg was a huge fan of godzilla or not godzilla god king kong, king kong <laughs> he's a huge yep. fan of king kong and he told john bell when they're starting to do rough sketches in concept art he said for the gates for the movie i really love king kong i'd love to see a, a giant gate like that he knocked it the hell out of the park with this thing. Plus the line, what are they keeping behind yeah. there? Yep. And that's that's what I love about this. The, the production gave us so many good what would be throwaway lines that were directly either from the mouths of people working on the film or comments being made as they worked through things because it's just so it's so revolutionary and iconic, the things that happened as this movie was being produced, that it was just hard to keep that excitement to themselves. They had to put that joy in the movie some way too. I love it. I love that. So when they're approaching the gates, mm -hmm. uh, you got the guy talking on the thing. I didn't catch his name, but apparently Richard Kylie popular because spared no Kylie. <laughs> okay. Kylie. Kylie. Kylie with a K. Richard Kylie. Okay. Spared no expense either way. Mm -hmm. But he says, <laughs> welcome to Jurassic Park. And it does not have near the same effect as when Hammond says it at the first the first time it's set in the movie yeah you can definitely tell that it's a passion project for hammond welcome to jurassic park like he's there's so much it's said with so much love and pride yep. in it and yeah you got the guy in the radio spared no expense but not near as much pride you can tell he's just because well, he's hired for his voice reading from a script yep. basically richard kiley was famous for his voice and narration because he had a deep baritone voice and he had a really nice distinguishable voice and that's all he's there for. He's not excited about dinosaurs. Fuck that. He's just there for a paycheck. Right. 
Here you are at this part of the park. Yep. These dinosaurs are known for this. Yeah, you, you get Lex irrationally wondering if the, the the vehicle designed for a tour by her grandfather is going to smash into a gate. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Nedry did design the system. Right? Right? That's true. That's true. But then, yeah, they're on their way to their first exhibit. And this is so ingrained in my personality Anytime something doesn't go right or anytime something is missing, anytime anything like that small happens in my life, I am now 33 and I've been doing it for how many ever years that is. I, I, I casually just half-heartedly slam my hand down and mutter damn. Just like just like Alan Grant when they go past the Lophosaurus cage and there's nothing in it. I love that. I love it as well. They have Richard Kiley explaining that the, the Lophosauruses are known for being, now known for being poisonous and spit tar. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. How many mm-hmm. people died to Dilophosauruses before they figured out that this was something that Dilophosauruses do? Yeah, I'm assuming nobody probably died, but I'm assuming that they exhibited the aggression and spitting while they're growing up and that's after they they're cloned they're like well what the hell now we got to put a disclaimer about this <laughs> and at this point do you think that perhaps it wasn't the dinosaur that spat but they used toad like uh, DNA. Uh, the the, uh-huh. to- the the poison dart oh, toad for sure. you can totally or something, see or whatever the jesus lizard whatever the hell that one's called you can absolutely see the dna in that and that's everybody gets in a camp about the Dilophosaurus. The problem with the Dilophosaurus is, at the time, they were trying to make the most realistic dinosaur movie that they could. Right? Yep. Based off of all the stuff and updating everybody's notions of what a dinosaur was. Dilophosaurus was the one exception in the film in which it was just a Hollywood design. It was a horror movie design. I mean, everything about the neck frill is completely speculation. There's never been any kind of evidence that there was a neck frill. And the venom... That's speculation too. But the thing about it that everyone forgets is yes, they filled in the gene sequences with amphibian DNA and reptile DNA. So there's all that stuff that could have come over from that. So the problem with the Dilophosaurus is after the first movie, I can't remember which paleontologist it was, but essentially a paleontologist, some, some folks that worked on the film, whatever it might be, executives higher up hated that representation of Dilophosaurus because they're like, that's not even remotely close to what it should be. And that's why you never saw it again. And that's why it's pissed me off until this last trailer where after all these freaking years, we finally get a Dilophosaurus again in the movies because they teased really heavy with the last one, but it turned out to be a statue. And then they teased really heavy with Jurassic World. And it turned out to be a hologram. But we have not seen a Dilophosaurus in this freaking franchise since the first since movie. Since the first one, yep. Well, and I am so stoked. But that is actually a legitimate thing. Apparently executives or paleontologists ever since this movie made it part of like a clause. Like, back no and forth over arguing whether or not it was a thing. As you imagine, it was hugely influential. Every single thing related to a Dilophosaurus that you see after Jurassic Park came out depicts them with a frill and spitting shit. Yeah, like the Uno game. Yeah, like the the Uno game. But I'm talking about stuff that's not even Jurassic Park. Like, you go Google an image of a Dilophosaurus right now, and there's going to be pictures of it coming up with frill spitting from games, comic books, whatever. Just people drawing it like that. I mean, yes, the normal Dilophosaurus without a frill will show up, textbook style, but you go and Google search Dilophosaurus, like I'm doing right now, and... Right away, the four pictures on the Google page are what they should be. From Jurassic, oh, what they should be, yep, yeah, I see it. But the Dilophosaurus image next to the name Dilophosaurus up top is one with a frill. (laughs) And then you click images, 
And it is a mixed bag. You got ones with frills. You got ones oh without frills. God. You got toys with frills. Look at all this. Uh-huh. Don't go too deep. You're going to hit rule 34. <laughs> uh, oh, let's, let's let's not go no, that far. Nope. Yeah. That's that's like page two or three. We're on page one. It's fine. But no, that's all I'm saying is some jerk got so offended about this Holy dinosaur in this bent. movie that we have not seen this dinosaur since 1993. And that pisses me off. Stupid man babies. Right? <laughs> I like the neck frill. It's whimsical. It is. It's fun. Have a little bit of creativity with something we'll never know the actual. We'll never know what the actual hundred percent like. Most likely, that's hundred percent. There's almost no way. That's of the thing. It's that. creativity. Most of it's grounded in reality. Most of it is hundred percent accurate based off the information that they had at the time. But we also this gotta remember some that they are element. not dinosaurs. They are yes reptile Monsters, amphibian hybrids <laughs> yeah nobody plucked them from their existence and brought them back people horribly spliced them back together via dna that they didn't even know what they were doing with and think oh man this thing looks like this we have it back this is probably how it was and then they just shove it out a gate and try to sell it off that's <laughs> what's happening versus people actually understanding what the hell they've made and that's the beauty of this the Dilophosaurus represents the chaos of the park and represents the chaos of the entire fundamental thing that is Jurassic Park. You have a T-Rex, yes. You can easily say to Taurus, we have a T-Rex. You have Brachiosaurus. You can say we have Brachiosaurus, Triceratops, all that stuff. What the hell is this thing with a frill spitting fucking venom out of it? Oh, that's the thing we don't talk about. That was supposed to be a Dilophosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It is a physical representation of what the hell is going on in the park that they have no idea what they have. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> the scene introduces the the actual tropical storm that's mm-hmm. that happened during the filming. Yeah, we lost a few things with that. But the the pictures they have of the storm coming that's not a tropical storm that's a goddamn hurricane yeah we'll we'll get into that probably in the next episode because that's going to be coming up after the triceratops but no no because they they reference it right right in the beginning of this oh they do yeah because muldoon's tracking the storm from norad but there's a natural hurricane that blew through during the filming of jurassic park which unfortunately tore the gates down after they did the filming for those the gates are no longer around Coincidentally enough, it actually destroyed the set that was planned to show the death of Ray Arnold from Velociraptor. So when that set was destroyed, they just basically left the scene that was in with the with the arm heavily implying that he died. I mean, how could you not expect that? But right, yeah. And then and then we talked about it uh, either on the side or in the last episode. But it was uh, Stephen was crazy enough to get enough people crazy enough like him to go out with cameras and whatnot and film some bits of the hurricane as it was coming through the island. So they could use that because he figured, well, why the hell not? There's going to be a storm coming through the island for the movie. Why not film the storm coming through the island right now? It's great. We also get Arnold's hold on to your butts iconic line. Uh-huh. It's the first time that he says it in the movie. The line that kids muttered like crazy because it was a fun line to say as a child. You felt like you couldn't get in trouble and it felt cool to say. And it's, it's just fun. It is. It is. The scene also has my my favorites, my favorite line. You had your life, our lives in our, your hands and you had Butterfingers. I use <laughs> yep. that line more often than I, I care to admit. Likewise. I've used that line a lot. And we have that infamous line from Hammond with, I don't blame people, or I don't blame people for the mistakes, but I do ask that they pay for them. You have all that stuff in such a short amount of time. You have... Within this, like, three-minute span, you've got Malcolm delivering the line about King Kong behind the gate. you got him delivering his line about, you will eventually have dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour, right? With, <laughs> with Hammond's retort of, I hate that man. <laughs> and then you have the dam with the windowsill for the Dilophosaurus not being there. 
followed directly by this, it's just quotable, 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 quote after quote after quote. And it's, I, I, I love having that. It's magical. It's absolutely magical. It's also kind of chaos. If only there was like a theory that you could use to discuss, to describe. Oh, That's expecting too much, kid. That you just don't oh, know what's going to oh, happen Ken. from all this. And that you can hit on people with. Yeah, yeah. And slightly <laughs> nag on people by talking about their micro follicles uh, follicles and imperfections. Yeah. oh i can't wait to talk about that there's there's so much to unpack with that especially with the action figures they released and everything else i'm super excited yeah they had nedry drinking a jolt yep, cola yep. drank a bunch of those that when they, re, when they re-released them in high school they re-released them again a couple Holy years crap, ago there's a glass bottle of jolt back yep. there i like the aluminum bottles that they came out with like my in my junior senior year because the jolt bottle looked like a it looked like a battery yeah and it was green red or blue or green blue. red or blue the blue one was my favorite and then the red and green ones didn't look like batteries they were different designs i know maybe they were bad maybe they were all batteries yeah they're, they're all it. batteries i drank enough of them i drank most of the blue <laughs> yeah. ones yeah because that was just the best the blue flavor. was my favorite though that's that, yeah, that's the only one I kept buying. But yeah, they, they brought Jolt Cola back in the retro, retro can, like in the movie, back in 2018 or so. So we had those back. But yeah, it's uh, cool seeing that in the film. There's also the Nedry thing is starting to introduce how complex the computer systems is with the computer having two million lines of code that he has to write and debug and compile all at the same time because... That's how computers works back then. All based off of a conversation about the headlights being on when they shouldn't be. Yeah. Headlights being on and not using the rail charge for the car. Yeah, they're using, they're the, using the car, car, battery. car battery. Which is then explained, is then used later when the cars die That's and the headlights, the headlights are still, are still on. on. Yep. Foreshadow. It's so nice. Those little details that get picked up later on. Ah, <sighs> It's like a dream. So good. <laughs> and you can dream about what we are going to talk about next in the next episode of us covering Jurassic Park. So come back in two weeks when we take our own bite out of the T-Rex cage and all those other parts of the movie Jurassic <laughs> Park. Or next time when we have our 18-minute window. <laughs> so, all kinds of stuff coming up. I think we're almost over the hump. We've gotten through half of the movie. Yeah. And so, we've already talked about the second half. We need, just need to put it in chronological order and fill in a couple of blanks <laughs> and unpin some of those messages. No, no, no. There's plenty still to talk about. <laughs> so, come back in two weeks when we rewind again. And dinosaurs.